Make me the commissioner of any sports league and the most important trophy you could win would not be most valuable player. It would be greatest teammate. Welcome to Through the Tunnel, a Game Change Productions podcast that dives into sports and the life lessons that can be learned from them. The podcast is inspired by the book of the same name, written by Game Change co-founders Paul McDonald and yours truly, Jack Barrage. On the show today, Paul and I talk about the importance of being a great teammate. In a me, me, me world, it is harder and harder to find people who are willing to contribute to a team or greater cause with no expectation of anything in return. And we discuss how doing for others often comes back in much greater ways than we could ever imagine. We hope you enjoy the show, and please check us out at GameChangeNation.com or on one of our social media pages. Like many sports fans, I root for the underdog. I always want the underdog to win in almost any game unless I have a team that's, that I'm rooting for. And so with that, I think I've always sort of had this spot in my heart for, uh, for, for walk-ons. I just, you know, I love the walk-on story, a guy who's out there playing for the pure joy of it. Many of them don't ever get in the game but talk about how important they are to a team, especially during the season on the practice squad and all that sort of stuff. What's interesting is, is many of the walk-ons uh, could be best friends with the stars for a variety of reasons. Room with them and, uh, uh, and all of that. And because you're a walk-on, you're there, you're putting on the same amount of effort that everybody else is. Right. Uh, so you're really there because you love it. Right. That's why you're there. And uh, that love can spill over in some of these uh, four and five star superstar athletes to give them the same feeling about why they're doing what they're doing, right? It creates a chemistry, I think. Oh, it's interesting because they see the walk-on uh, busting butt and not even getting playing time, but just for the pure love of it. Yes. And it's a reminder to the four and five stars, hey, I, I, I love this sport too. And exactly. playing for the joy of it. Yeah, no glory. No glory at all. They don't get to, you know, maybe they get to try it on the field for special teams or something like that, but right. no one's going to know. Uh, they're not going to catch a winning touchdown pass typically or throw the winning touchdown pass or run for the winning touchdown pass or make the key tackle to save the, the game. So it's, uh, but they're there, part of the fabric of the team. Yeah. So there's the chemistry part that you refer to, but also just talk about the pragmatic part. You need guys on the field to practice against and they can run the scout team and they can do all these different things that allow your team to prepare. So even though they weren't in the game for the victory, the preparation that led to that victory oftentimes is very incumbent upon their efforts. No question about it. You know, when you have a great scout team, uh, look team, that gives the starters uh, the best opportunity to uh, compete against what they're gonna be competing against on Saturday. You right. know, they get, that's what they call it, look. They give them the best look of what they're gonna see in the game. When you have good guys back there that are, that are busting their butt and really putting forth a good effort, it's gonna lead to a better performance in the game. Yeah, so if they're, if they're going up against a group of guys who aren't really giving it their best effort, then they're not getting their best practice. And when they're not getting their best practice, now they're going to go play against the varsity on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or whatever day of the game of the weeks. And like, whoa, yeah. Like, you got to be smart. They want you in the right positions. Uh, it's not just uh, you're just kind of hanging out there. You've got to be in the right position. You got to, uh, from a defensive perspective, you got to fill the correct way and you got to put forth the, the right level of intensity. I mean, you're not going to. You know, bust the chops of the quarterback. <laughs> right, right, right. You get thrown off the team. Where's that red shirt for a reason? <laughs> exactly. Right. But you know, just you're putting energy into it and effort and in the right spot. And you're, so the, during the game, the starters uh, ex, know, know what to expect because they've had it in practice. Yeah. Your son Michael was a walk on at SC. Um, 
Talk about his experiences and talk about also how at some point he just decided, you know, I've, 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 I've made this team, I've done my thing, and now it's time to move on. And, and what happened next? Because I think it's a great story. Yeah, Michael is the oldest, uh, the best athlete in the family. I think you could ask all the, <laughs> all the members of the family and they would agree. Uh, and he was really good. Uh, unfortunately, he was a little undersized. But he grew up with USC, and he just, you know, he, a highly confident uh, guy, and he felt like, hey, I'll figure this out, and I'll, I'll get on the field, and I'll be a starter someday. Um, and that really wasn't panning out the way he thought it was going to pan out. I mean, a place at USC, Pete Carroll was the head coach. They're bringing all these studs in uh, from all over the country, so it was very difficult for him to even get in the scout team reps. Yeah. To even get the scout team reps, yeah. it was very challenging yeah. for him. Yeah. And so, you know, walk-ons are viewed differently than scholarship players, typically. Yeah. And there's inherent amongst the players, there's this validation, hey, I'm a scholarship guy, you're paying for my, my schooling and, and my food and my, my room and board and all that stuff. So well, walk-ons don't get that. And so there's this unsaid um, messaging that you know you're you're really you're part of the team, but you're really not part of the team. You haven't right. made the the varsity yet. Right. And so he was dealing with that as well, yeah. not feeling like he was really ingrained in, into the team. Uh, so he got the way to the point to where he just decided, you know, I've decided maybe I shouldn't do this any longer. It's just, not going to happen for me. Yeah, this so is not going to happen for me. So move I'm, on and yeah. study, work, work on my academics yes. more, and, and figure just, out what I want to do with my life. Right. All that. So he he more or less. Quits, I guess I was right yeah, left the, the team. season, left the team. And then, and then um, spring practice rolls around and um, they ask him back. Why did they ask him back? They needed some help is the reason they asked him back. Uh, I think Matt Leinert was having a elbow surgery. Billy Hart was playing baseball. Another kid, uh, I think Rocky Hines, transferred to maybe UNLV. So they were short QBs. And they didn't have anybody to run the practice. Right. They, only, they were very short. And so... Michael just agreed to go back. Wait, who was the guy? Wasn't it Sarkeesian who at the time was offensive coordinator who reached out? Was it to you or to him? I can't remember the He story. reached out to me because I was on campus for some reason at practice or something like that. I can't remember. Maybe a workout. Anyway, he saw me and Pete Carroll said, Sark, go, go talk to him. So he, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> Am I getting fired as the broadcaster? I <laughs> Shouldn't I be hearing this from somebody else other than the offensive coordinator? So, so he, Sark and I talked, and he basically said, hey, we really, need, we really need Mike. We really need Mike to come back, because uh, here's why. And so I, I, I called Michael, and we talked about it, and, uh, and he agreed that, that he should get back um, you know, it had been a good two years on the team, and he wanted to help his teammates, and uh, because they were in a bind, they wouldn't be able to have as good practices as they uh, ordinarily would have had. Right, and there was really nothing in it for him at that point. It wasn't like they said to him, "Hey, you come out to spring practice and you have a shot the starting quarterback position or anything like that." There was no quid pro quo. It was just, "Hey, we really just need you to kind of help fill out this practice squad." One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. And he just. He just said, okay, you know what, these are my guys, I'm going to do that for them. Yes. He said, these are my guys, um, I want to help them out. Right. And so he does spring practice, and now he's done, and now, now it's time to sail out of the sunset. <laughs> yeah, right. Now his career's over. And he again leaves the team, more or less. Yes. And then what happens? Well, um, I get stopped again by Sarkeesian, same kind of deal. I'm on you campus. You Sark, man. <laughs> I... 
I'm like, hook him horns. He says, Where, where's Mike? I go, well, wait a minute. You, he, you need him for spring? He came for spring. And that was sort of it. Now he's moving on with his life. And he said, well, we really need him. I go, well, you call him. I'm not going to, you call him. Right. I'm not going to relay the information. Right. Well, what happened was a couple weeks later, Michael is, um, and this is now June or something, they're doing summer workouts, so Michael's not there. And uh, he's, uh, he happened to be, I think, maybe riding on a beach cruiser down to the beach. His cell phone rings. It's Pete Carroll. Wow. And Pete calls him and says, hey, I just, you know, you know, we, we love you in our program. He's trying to pump him up. Like, right. And so Michael's like, what's this all about? And then uh, he finally says, you know, will you come back? I mean, and we're going we're gonna to pay your way. We're going to give you a scholarship. Wow. And so, and Michael was just like, you know, over the moon with that because that's validation. Yeah. Finally got validation for it. Right. And, uh, and he responded and, and came back and had another three years and was the holder for field goals and extra points and trotted on the field through a couple TDs in mop-up duty. One, one actually against Washington was a fake field goal that was needed because uh, the Trojans won, I think, by, uh, by four or five points in that game. So, yeah, so he got, he got to fulfill his dream of, you know, throwing the ball around the field a little bit and uh, getting up under center and, and really participating in, you, in a team's success. On that, along those lines, his first touchdown pass you later told, I think it was Lane Kiffin, that it was your favorite play ever or something. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Tell that story. Well, uh, I was introducing Lane Kiffin at, uh, at, a, at a Trojan function at the Bobo Bay Club. Um, and I said something to the fact, you know, I mentioned about his, uh, his accolades, his resume a little bit. And, and I, I finished with, and by the way, I just want to say this. My favorite coach ever that I get to introduce. And he, I could see his eyes turning and looking at me like, like what? Where's he going with this? Yeah. And then I, then I answered, I, you know, I described why. Because he called this play. Right. On third and three on the, Ar uh, on the uh, Arkansas five-yard line where the Trojans were going in, uh, he called a play-action pass for Michael. And, of course, he threw a great ball, but it was even a better catch by... Jimmy Miller, uh, because he was down and away, but Michael put it in the only place he could put it. Anyway, that was his first touchdown. He throws right. the first touchdown, and I was in the booth with Pete Arbogast, and we got to we got to call it. And I almost fell out of the booth. Right. When that yeah, happened. that's awesome. So, it's, so awesome. it's just you know, it's 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 great. It's and I think you know the lesson in all this is um, being a great teammate goes across in a bunch of different ways, but it all comes back to just putting others first and really serving a group, serving a community, serving whomever, and good things are gonna come back to you. We live in a what's in it for me society. We do, we do. And, and everyone's measuring that when, when they get asked to do something. Okay, right. so if I do this for you, what do I get out of it? And they, they want it to be um, you know, an equal transaction, if right. you will. And I believe that it's very empowering uh, to do something outside of your ego for the benefit of others right. or a community or society or your family or some thing or some entity outside of yourself, right? right? Uh, that's, there's great, tremendous power in that. And that's what really Michael did. He did it just to benefit his teammates and his coaches because they needed him with no expectation of anything. And yet out of it, he gets a scholarship. Right. And, a, and a, just the experience of being on a team that went to Rose Bowls and all the Won different stuff. Won two national stuff. titles. Right. Like 
you know, how cool is that, right? And, Unbelievable. And being a part of that team, not feeling like you said earlier about maybe not feeling so much a part of it, like he getting, he getting an opportunity to contribute. We all want to contribute. Yes, we do. We, we all want to feel like we're a part of the greater whole. Right. And then those sorts of things can change the course of your life, you know, because he's recognized as being part of the team. He has two rings and his, I don't know, three or four Rose Bowl rings because he was part of those teams. And um, it's just a cool thing that he was part of that and uh, it's something that you'll never be able to forget. And back to your point, you know, again, we do live in a society where everything is, is transactional, you know, and I often tell people if they're kind of stuck in a rut, the best thing that you can do is go out and volunteer because when you're volunteering for an organization, First of all, you're feeling better about yourself because you're helping other people. And so now maybe if you were down in the dumps a little bit, your confidence comes back a little bit. Your feeling of self-worth comes back a little bit because you see the value in yourself because what you're doing is helping others. And then on a practical level, you meet people, right? And you get out there and the next thing you know, you've got a little bit of a network. People who volunteer are typically good people, positive people. Now you're meeting good people and you know being around good people leads to good things. Yeah, it's... At the end of the day, we can all accumulate a lot of things, <clears throat> but it's how you can influence others, what can, you can give to others uh, that can make a difference in their lives, right. in the lives of a, of a group of people. You right. know, and that's and, and that's where we need to come from in how we live. Not not expecting it, right. but just freely giving of yourself with your time, your money, your resources, and when you do that, good things are going to come back to you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Through the Tunnel. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review it. It'll really help others who love sports and the lessons they provide to find the show and together create Game Change Nation, a community that is dedicated to lifting each other up. Also, we'd love to hear your stories, so please visit GameChangeNation.com or any of our social media pages to give us your take on sports and life. And finally, check out our book, Through the Tunnel, which is now available on Amazon. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome day.